Hi, it's Belinda Marshall, and this is my talk, Being in the Virtual World. Now, there have been a lot of questions around the nature of being and existence tackled within philosophy for many, many centuries. However, I hope in this paper to give a kind of brief introduction to the idea of discussing these concepts, but in a virtual environment as used within a virtual reality technology. So I'm going to be doing this in a few parts. So to begin, I'm going to introduce virtual reality as a lot of people kind of have preconceived notions of what virtual reality is or what it consists of. Um, I think it's important to kind of delve into what is meant by virtual reality. And from there, I'm going to discuss the idea of virtual reality versus primary reality, which is kind of the real world which we live in. And that's kind of important because in order to discuss questions such as being in a virtual reality, it's important to kind of make the link between reality and virtual reality to kind of explore whether we can consider virtual reality any form of reality in itself. And once we've got the kind of questions around virtual reality and reality itself out of the way, I will go into kind of classic phenomenology, the philosophy of technology, which already does exist. Um, as I'm sure you know, I mean, Heidegger was writing about technology in the 1950s. Uh, it's something that has been discussed. Um, so I'm going to kind of go back through what's already been said, how that's kind of transformed through time, but also acknowledge the fact that it hasn't really been discussed in this way, and especially not towards virtual reality. Um, which will then lead me on to virtual phenomenology, where that goes, what that means, what kind of questions we can begin to ask. Obviously, this is quite a short talk, so I can't go as in-depth as I'd like to. Um, but I hope to begin to kind of get into the main questions around virtual being and such, and hopefully conclude the talk with a little bit of discussion on why this research matters. So both how this kind of concept applies to the real world but also gives us greater research scope. So what is virtual reality? So as a basic definition virtual means almost or nearly as described, reality is the state of things as they actually exist um, and obviously what reality is is something which has been discussed by philosophers for a long time. Um, I don't think there's any true agreed definition but we as we can take a very common sense view of reality virtual reality is essentially an almost reality or an emulation of reality from a more technical standpoint rather than kind of the definition virtual reality is a 3d computer generated environment which can be explored and interacted with as explained by the uh, virtual reality society online um, now this can take all kinds of different forms. I think most people when they hear virtual reality, the go-to image is the person with the headset or maybe the full body gear, but virtual reality can be accessed through computers or laptops, smartphones. Um, there are different levels of sensory immersion. So the classic style, even arguably Pac-Man, for example, could be considered a form of virtual reality in the sense that it's something you immerse and interact yourself with. Um, but this goes into the modern day with things like sensory gloves or full head body gear, which gives you the full sensory experience as well as the kind of mental um, immersion, which 
is where it all kind of started, to be honest. So it's a good little quote there that virtual reality requires synchronicity between hardware, software and sensory technology to create a sense of presence. And that's kind of the important thing when considering virtual reality technologies. Is it's not as simple as kind of using Microsoft Office and your computer. It's more that it's giving you the chance to kind of immerse yourself in the virtual world. It's giving you something where you feel you have a presence, where you can act, where you can interact, where you can affect the environment around you and it does rely on a heavy level of immersion or at least ability to be able to immerse yourself. Now back on the more kind of technical standpoint, virtual reality is a form of computer mediated reality which isn't too common a phrase but it's something which we use more often than we think. Now augmented reality is a more common version and the difference between the two is that Whereas virtual reality is a digital environment which we kind of immerse ourselves in. Augmented reality is digital things which enter the real world. So for example, a holographic pro projection in a concert would be counted as augmented reality, as would a kind of GPS sat-nav device. So they are quite different in their goals. Um, and I think it's important to distinguish between the two as virtual reality is the thing which we can be in, whereas I feel like augmented reality is the thing which is in our world, which we can be around, which is obviously interesting in a lot of other questions, but that's not where we're going with this particular talk. So the main kind of part of virtual reality, because I mean, obviously it encompasses all kinds of different things. It can be used by surgeons to imitate surgery. It can be used by pilots to kind of practice flying. It has a lot of good practical uses but those aren't the kind of uses in which you would be questioning your ability to exist freely, act freely, you know, your interaction with others don't really come up in these kind of virtual environments. Whereas I'm talking more about virtual environments which aim to imitate a real environment. So they have space, you have a sense of presence, you have a sense of time, usually interactivity, both with the environment, with other people. And the most common examples of this at the moment are fantasy worlds and video games so you'll have kind of the bigger open world games such as Skyrim or World of Warcraft or Red Dead Redemption there's so many these days um, you've got this full digital world and you have a character which can either be predefined or designed by yourself <clears throat> and with that character you explore the world, you interact, you make choices, maybe you build a home. Um, it attempts to give a kind of second life through the virtual. Um, and Haim, in one of his books, actually wrote about a virtual conference room, which is an interesting use of virtual reality technology these days, especially with the pandemic hitting. Um, and he kind of poses the idea of, you know, obviously pre-pandemic, but the idea of taking real world life settings not for entertainment purposes but making the virtual for very potentially practical uses and so on. Um, I also think it's important to distinguish the fact that there are some virtual environments which don't fully fit the bill so for example you've got games like uh, first person shooter games like Call of Duty or football games like FIFA where you have a character in a closed environment, it's like a game arena style thing 
and although you can act within these environments and a lot of the principles will still apply, it's not fully the same as, for example, trying to recreate an entire world. It's not trying to imitate the reality as we know it. So on to whether virtual reality can be considered a reality in itself. Um, so again, virtual reality is as explained and primary reality is what we're going to call the real world as we know it. And it's an interesting question whether virtual reality can be considered an actual form of reality. And Mewing Suk in his paper um, slash conference talk, The Reality of Virtual Reality, argued very strongly for the fact that virtual reality should be considered a form of reality. So as you can see the quote there, virtuality is itself a bona fide mode of mode of reality and virtual reality must be understood as things, agents and events that exist in cyberspace. He was very keen on the idea that we have these virtual realities and the reasons that we won't accept them as real realities is kind of to do with prejudices around the word virtual, for example. The connotations around calling something virtual must mean it's not real, whereas if you look at the concepts around it and the things that it's made up of, it does actually make a lot of sense to consider it as a reality. So as you can see in the quote there, it's, it's easy to think of virtual as fake. And Reed also kind of spoke a little bit about the misconceptions around virtual reality. So he said, I do not see virtual reality as a set of technologies, but as an experience. Um, it's kind of, it takes use of imagination um, but it also offers us the chance to kind of create relationships. It gives us the chance to have real experiences that we have real emotional responses to, which Reed saw is quite important in terms of whether we considered virtual reality as a real kind of reality. So this kind of Myung-suk goes along the same lines a little bit, um, in explaining that there are ways in which you can see virtual reality can truly be explained to be a kind of reality. And I think it's important to discuss the question of whether virtual reality is a reality. Is it another reality alongside our reality? Is it an extension of our reality? I mean, it's hard to kind of say, but I take the stance that it probably is best to see it as an extension of the reality in which we live in. I think it definitely is a reality in itself. I mean, you can, in the well-designed virtual environment, look at experiences, adventures, um, all the kinds of things which fit reality as we know it can translate into a virtual version of such, which you can see in this quote here is quite along the same lines. So Haim again kind of goes a little bit further into how we can design and kind of what qualities a virtual environment has to hold in order to fit the bill of being a kind of extension of reality or another reality in the sense that it needs to have some form of similar livability. So instead of just trying to directly represent the entire real world as we know it or replicate it, it has to have different qualities such as as you can see in the quote, space for orientation, means of transport through the space, ways to store information, tools for interacting with other people, all the kinds of things which make up our existence in the real world, in the primary reality, need to be 
translated well into a virtual reality. So hopefully that is, although quite brief, a convincing discussion of why we could consider virtual reality a at least extension of reality, if not another form of reality. I think it's fair to say when you look at experiences within video game worlds or as we've all kind of had to move virtually this year, the fact that you can have meaningful discussions even through virtual chat spaces. Um, Zoom has obviously become quite a big part of our world now and I think it's a little bit easier to say that yes, you can definitely have authentic experiences and that it's not fair to say that those experiences aren't real because they're done digitally. Um, but beyond that, if we, if we accept that as true, which it seems fair to say that we can, it gives us the chance to say, okay, so we've got virtual reality, which is another form of reality, so what are we going to do with that? And that leads us on to the issues of kind of phenomenology and the history and philosophy of technology and how those philosophical and phenomenological questions translate into the realm of the technological and virtual. So we're going to look at first the early history of the philosophy of technology. Um, if you could guess from the name, I'm going to talk a lot about Heidegger here, but also Carl Jaspers, who had some interesting views alongside Heidegger's. Um, and then a little brief introduction to post-phenomenology, which is a later branch of phenomenology more geared towards a new approach to the philosophy of technology. So Heidegger and Jaspers were both quite sceptical of technology. Um, and without going into too much depth, we'll start with Heidegger. Um, Heidegger made a distinction between classic and modern forms of technology. So he said that classic te technology was related far more to instrumentality and it held the qualities of being able to reveal things about the world. Whereas modern technology, in contrast, had the characteristic of setting upon in a sense of challenging forth. So in simple terms, Heidegger viewed modern technology as exploitative. So the classic example he gives is that of the River Rhine, as described in Holderlin's poetry. So the river itself is a kind of symbol of natural, natural and cultural pride. It's described as beautiful um, and it exists within the world. And if you applied an ancient, a classic form of technology to that river, such as a bridge, it wouldn't take from the river, but instead it would present the opportunity to admire the river from new angles. It would open up the world by providing the option to cross the river into new territory. The bridge itself could add something to the surrounding landscape. It reveals something about the world. Um, for Heidegger, this kind of technology isn't problematic. Whereas you then consider a modern piece of technology, such as a hydroelectric dam. The hydroelectric dam directly takes from the river, it treats it as an infinite source of power. Nothing about the essence of the hydroelectric dam treats the world as something with value beyond that which can be used. And it is this way that modern technology preys upon the world that is the crucial concern for Heidegger. And there's two kind of reasons for this. I mean, firstly, he would say that viewing the world in this way is kind of reductionist because the world isn't simply a tool or an infinite resource. But secondly, he said that treating and viewing the world this way is bound to have a negative impact on our metaphysical being, both in the sense that technology is ultimately bound to challenge forth upon humans and that the constant interaction with modern technology is ultimately bound to change the way that we view and treat the world. Now, I think this example and this concept is actually quite interesting because 
obviously writing this around 1950s, virtual reality wasn't a thing. And I think it's interesting to consider how would Heidegger view something like a virtual environment? I mean, the hydroelectric dam is one thing and he does have a point. Um, but virtual reality doesn't seem to be taking anything from the world, especially if we do consider it as an extension of reality. It's actually kind of adding a new a new dimension to the world, which is a little bit kind of where Jaspers went with things. So it's interesting with Carl Jaspers because initially pre-World War II, he had a similar sceptical view of technology. Um, he saw the rise of technology alongside the growth of the population as a risk of a mechanised culture of, alieni of alienation, of enslavement to this demon that we've created. And he had very high value upon things like our attachment with the world, our attachment with objects, our engagement with the environment around us. So you can see this quote here. So the only freedom left to men by the calculable course of this endless productive machinery would be the freedom to watch. Which, you know, Jasper wrote slightly more kind of socio-politically. He was a little bit more worried about things like, for example, losing the authenticity of a handmade plate, which, you know, had a bit of character to it, had value to it and so on. Whereas you consider that alongside an Ikea plate where thousands upon thousands upon millions are just churned out, they're soulless, we lose connection with the things around us, which for Jasper, Jasper's wasn't ideal. <laughs> But post-World War II, um, he interesting, interestingly kind of changed views on technology and rather than seeing it as this kind of demon, as this thing which is a big risk to us, he kind of saw the risk as the way that we were using it. So technology itself is neutral, which I agree with. Um, but the way we are allowing it to manifest as an end rather than a means to an end is the problem with technology. It's not the kind of question of, is technology bad? It's more, how can we best use technology so we can avoid these negative consequences? And this interesting shift um, in views toward technology is kind of well described by Verbeek in What Things Do um, and various other kind of literature around post-phenomenology. And he believed that works by people such as Jaspers and Heidegger was actually transcendentalist, um, that their views reduced technology to its conditions of possibility, then speaks of these conditions of possibility as if it were speaking about technology itself. So he kind of coined this term post-phenomenology, this branch of discussing the phenomenology of technology, um, but in a kind of more modern way, avoiding this kind of transcendentalist view. So the shift was kind of more, what will technology be, as Heidegger and Jaspers were talking about, to what is the status quo in the postmodern society. It's a phenomenological approach to technology as a definitive entity rather than a possibility, which is obviously more appropriate in the modern day as technology encroaches into our space more and more. So what does this all translate to when we go virtual? It gives us things to consider, like I said with Heidegger, um, it's one thing to kind of consider his view of technology. Yeah, it's another interesting idea to not only reframe his concerns towards technology towards virtual reality and whether they still apply, um, 
which I don't think they do. I don't. I think you can count virtual reality as a very distinct form of technology, both in its goals, uses, consequences of its use, and so on. Um, but also, if we look to Heidegger's work on being, um, on what it is to exist, on others, all of the other kind of questions he was asking about human life, about living in the real world, and how those apply in the virtual world. So being in the world is a kind of famous thing for Heidegger, and I think it'd be interesting to consider what is being in the virtual world. Do the same kind of issues translate? Can we even ask the same questions? What kind of questions would that be? Now, I would like to go much more in depth with this as, as kind of quite an interesting area of research, I think. I mean, you look at the school of existentialism, which, although it's kind of difficult to pin down the concept or philosophical movement, it is the general overarching philosophical movement addressing questions of what it is to exist, um, particularly in a world seemingly devoid of meaning. Um, it addresses kind of questions around facing the absurd existence, what it is to live freely, what it is to live meanfully, how to live authentically, how interaction with other people has bearing on our own existence. Um, there are so many interesting questions to be asked within virtual environments. I mean, one of my favourite kind of things to consider is Sartre's idea of hell is other people. Um, the looking through the keyhole kind of idea of got the kind of undisturbed idea of being alone and then that presence of another being kind of shakes you in a way, it creates this anxiety in a way and does that translate into a virtual world? I mean can you be on your own in a multi-user virtual environment and kind of feel a personal shift in the presence of others? Um, does it matter whether those are other people using avatars, whether it's AI using the avatars? I mean, there's a whole area of things which can be discussed here. Um, but given the constraints of time, I think the idea of being is one of the most interesting. So given the kind of nod towards Heidegger here and his particular, particularly interesting phenomenology concepts and so on, um, his idea of being is particularly interesting because there were kind of so many different concepts he worked around. So he had the idea of being there, being with, being in the world, um, being with others. And the phrase he kind of used for this was Dasein. So he has a quote, what does being in mean? Initially, we supplement the expression being in with the phrase in the world and are inclined to understand this being in as being in something. In contrast, being in is thus the formal existential expression of the being of Dasein, which has the essential constitution of being in the world. Um, and he's ultimately saying that to be is to be in the world, um, which is very interesting when you consider that our world may potentially consi consist of another virtual world. And it's a necessary state of existence, not just kind of in the spatial context, but as a necessary form of rooted belonging. Um, he believed that human beings could only be taken into account as an existence in the world amongst other things. Now, it seems kind of paradoxical um, to question how Heidegger would view this or to kind of apply this to virtual reality, 
because in a sense it is removing us from the world um, it's at least distracting us from the world if you wanted to look at it that way um, and you could also kind of couple this with a scepticism towards technology and it would probably lead you to believe that his philosophical viewpoint just wouldn't mesh with the notion of being in a virtual world yet considering Heidegger's time of writing I think it's hard that you could ever imagine he envisioned this being where technology went or where it's going and I think despite the kind of ontological metaphysical differences between a virtual world and the primary real world virtual environments do exist and human beings do immerse themselves within them these virtual environments allow for action and interaction authentic choice freedom in ways which can either be strikingly similar or drastically different to the primary world which he wrote he was kind of concerned with our immersion with the world and how it's all around us with a sense of certainty pervaded by the notion of our incapability to be anywhere else however referring to the previous section you can kind of consider maybe we can be somewhere else and undeniably the comparison between the primary world of which Heidegger wrote and the virtual world of the modern day is not a concrete and direct similarity I mean when in entering a virtual reality there is the capacity to be elsewhere but by the same vein can we not now say that the same towards primary reality I mean it seems that we can either state that a virtual world and a primary world are separate worlds in which we can be and that the concept of enmeshment between within the world now faces a duality of worlds or we can say that virtual worlds are a new layer to the primary world which through which we are able to be as we are in the primary world but through an illusory extension of the primary world which is still part of the world whichever stance you take with that it kind of appears irrefutable that there is a capacity for being in the virtual world we are either still being in the in the primary world but in a new form of the world created by advancements in technology or we are being in another world entirely although that world has different properties which of course alters the discussion somewhat so kind of the interesting things which leads from this is the question of can these experiences be meaningful um and i think that's extremely important in the modern era where the use of virtual reality technology is rising dramatically it's one of our main forms of entertainment these days is kind of gaming is becoming bigger younger and younger people are kind of immersing themselves into the virtual um and they are having experiences they are making friends online they are doing things within the games outside of school that they will go to school and talk about they will potentially create good friendships or even relationships within virtual experiences and those things will have an impact on how they feel how they think potentially how they act in the real world um it has a lot of kind of practical uses these days so different kinds of virtual reality technologies are used as a distraction for people with terminal illnesses they're used as kind of like you can go on virtual walks um, for elderly people or people that are otherwise bedbound to experience more of the primary world to which they are both stuck but also unable to navigate so this is kind of not just an exciting positive use of the technology but it does also hold the presupposition that you 
absolutely can have meaningful experiences of virtual environments, or even by experiencing real environments via virtual software. It's also kind of interesting, um, I mean, I wrote this pre-pandemic, but seeing how we have adapted to kind of recreate our real-life things, such as work, relationships, uh, socialising, entertainment, and so on, have been kind of quickly accepted as able to be done virtually um and people have been able to keep in touch with their friends they have been able to maintain relationships um continue their work and so on so it's quite interesting to see how whereas this before was kind of directed towards the what ifs of virtual reality and the rare instances in which people couldn't experience the prime reality to kind of see in a world where it's just not that rare that actually it seems as though the virtual experiences can mean something. As far as kind of research impact, there are just so many questions which arise from the concept of virtual being. I mean, we've discussed a few of the phenomenological questions, um, but I myself am doing some research in philosophy of mind, in extended mind, and kind of how theories about consciousness and cognition kind of apply to this kind of thing. So you've got the ideas of how we as human beings, how our consciousness, how our mind interacts with or is part of or is um, together with the world around us, how that then applies to a virtual environment. Do we have the full immersion? Is it kind of comparable to, for example, reading a book? Um, it's It poses a lot of interesting questions. Um, both phenomenological ones and within other areas. Um, and I do think they are important parts of research, given that they don't just have these kind of practical uses anymore. Um, but virtuality as a concept is something which we are now having to look at as a replacement for reality. So hopefully that kind of wasn't too rushed. Um, there are a lot of deeper concepts in there and there's a lot of extended reading. Um, which can be done on the topic. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed the talk. Thank you.